I've never seen The Wire, Conrad. You've never seen The Wire. I've never I, seen The Wire. I am told uh, that uh, that is one of the shows that people are incredibly shocked to hear that other people yes. haven't seen. Yes. Uh, I've... I, it's one of my favorite TV shows. I, yeah. I love it, but, I but lots like of people I would haven't love seen it. it. I yeah. feel like I would love it. But I say that because I have seen House of the Dead 2. Okay. I've never seen Casablanca. Right. But I have seen uh, most of Uwe Boll's films. <laughs> yes, yes, you have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen uh, Dances with Wolves. I've okay. never seen Dances with Wolves. Interesting choice. Interesting choice. It was just Indigenous People's Day, so it is sort of, you know, seasonally appropriate, I guess. I just remember that one being quite popular back in the day. It was, yeah. Yeah. Or Last of the Mohicans. Uh, another, the... yep. Or uh, I have seen Braveheart. I was just trying to think of other sort of period movies from the uh, the 90s and stuff um either way i have seen arcade yes yes yeah yes. yeah and all uh-huh. of this is to say that out of all the time in my life that could be spent watching movies the many many classics that i've never seen and the, the many, many poor decisions that you have made yes, instead with the many must watches out there in the world Last night, I watched It Came From The Desert. <laughs> and I wish I hadn't ever done that. It, uh, I have such mixed feelings about this. I really do. It, it is not good. It's painful to watch. Like, actually painful yeah, to watch. it hurts. It uh, hurts to see it. And the, um, there's a, a group of people I know that watch these movies before we do the show. Oh, I'm so sorry for them. I, I apologize to that well, group for, for watching, having them watch this. Well, I, I, I felt the need to, like, encourage them because, <laughs> because this is not a film you should watch alone. No, that's true. I did. Yeah, I also did. And I think that had I watched it with another person to, you know, both confirm for me that I was watching what I was actually watching, you know, much <laughs> like one of the characters in this film needs confirmation of something that they have seen because they might be hallucinating. Yeah. That's where I was with this. But I mean, there, there's, it, it is a movie that you should laugh about, but you feel, you would feel weird laughing sh- about alone. You sure as shit can't laugh when you watch it. No. Not alone. Not at the jokes. Here's the thing. It Came From the Desert is not the worst movie we've seen, but it represents the worst kind of bad movie. Mm-hmm. If the best bad movies are unintentionally funny, then the worst bad movie is the one that is trying to be funny. Because the result of a bad movie is laughter. But the result of a bad comedy is not to laughter. Yes, it's the opposite of laughter, because the goal of a comedy is to produce the laughter, and if the comedy is bad, no laughter. Exactly. So a bad movie you can laugh at. Um, A bad comedy 
it's the antithesis of laughter. So there's nothing. It's just bad. Yeah, that's there, what it came from the desert. Is it's just bad. There's no value proposition really to be had anywhere in yeah. it. And even worse, it's one of those movies that knows it's bad, but it's not even good. It's not even good enough to be a sci-fi original. It's not even. It tries. To, it wants to be like Birdemic or Sharknado. Yeah. But it doesn't even have the comedy chops to pull that off, and that is not a high bar. Those are not many chops you need. No, and in its, uh, there like there are things that are competent for what is a clearly a B movie, like uh, the camera angles. The cinematography is perfectly competent. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. It's, it's not like that uh, movie me and my friend Flannel watched the other night that was just made. It was just on Amazon. If you go too far in Amazon, oh, you, you know find. you've gone too far. Yeah. We found one made by a Renfair group. Oh, dear. Um, they tried to make their own Dungeons and Dragons thing. Um, it was bad. It was, <laughs> it was like static camera angles all the time. And you couldn't tell the zombie characters apart from the actual characters because they all just moved with their heads down and their arms flailing about with nothing to do because they weren't actors. Um, but we also watched Merlin Shop of Mystical Wonders, which mm. is genius. Yes. A toast to the writers for being able to take some film from another decade that looks like it's from another decade in terms of film quality, the E.T. posters on the wall, and the things people are wearing and their hairstyles, like, it's an 80s horror movie that they've tried to turn into a kid's 90s movie. Yep. By filming new bits around it and adding on one story to make it an attempted anthology that isn't an anthology because it's one short story and one longer story. But the writing team being able to bolt to that in to the point where you're eventually on the edge of your seat because you're like, at some point, Merlin from the 90s is going to have to interact with this film from the 80s and it's going to be amazing. And it was. <laughs> it was lazy and slapdash. But as far as a cut and shut movie goes, it's incredible. Right. Merlin Shop and Mystical Wonders. Again, watch it with people. Don't watch it on your own. Um, and try to watch it with people who don't quite realise it. Because that was the joy for us, was like, we th we didn't know. I know there's like a mystery science on it, but I never saw that one. So we were totally in the dark going in. And we just realised more and more, like, this is not the same film and was never intended to be. How are they going to make this work? And they do, <laughs> somehow, not elegantly, not with good writing. You know, it's hack writing. But the writing team on that are like the best hacks in the biz. If you've made a shit movie that you can't push anywhere, give it to them. They'll do something with it. But anyway, that's a, that, that's a good, bad movie. Right. This is just a bad, bad movie that knows it's bad and tries to play it off cool. But like you said, not in a cynical way. No. Not, not in an edgy, cynical, oh, we know we're shit. I, I likened it more to someone who's like done a pratfall in public and they're then trying to move on with their head held high. It's less, let's deliberately make a shit movie, or we can't make a good movie, so we'll just lean into the shittiness. This was, oh dear, this is shit. Let's try and power through. Let's yeah. just muscle on through. Uh, what was your breaking point for this movie? Is there a particular standout moment where you realised, oh, this has nothing going for it? Um, 
I think it's for me. It's this the the Lucas or not not Lucas the the Brian Lisa scene where they um where they they realize you know they acknowledge their affection for each other. Oh, that was creepy. Given the the context. Yeah. That like, guy, I hated the protagonist of this. Such a whiny, selfish prick. Yes, yes, and 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 his his buddy is is no better. But no. um, the but this glorified Spencer from that Nickelodeon show. I forget which one it is. What Drake and Josh or Icarly on? He looks like him and behaves like him. And but the two of them together in this scene, like she is the best acting performance in this maybe well you could you could look at her and think as you see her perform oh she might be an actress right which you can't really say for any of the others like yes exactly uh now like she can emote to some extent and and but she's playing off this guy who just has no setting other than whiny yeah it seems that's what he sounds like. Oh, we yeah. should go. We should go. Oh, we should be in here. Oh, why does the fridge work? And and maybe that is a deliberate choice on the part of you know the director, the actor to you know emphasize his whininess exceptionally so that, you know, as he gains his self-confidence for the finale, blah, 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 we see, you know, dynamic character. But it's too much. Absolutely, yeah. It's relentless. It is a relentless assault of whiny entitlement from this protagonist. And so here in this scene where they are acknowledging that this is totally the wrong time to have this conversation. The one clearly intelligent member of this team and the one performer who can act playing against this lump. <laughs> yep. And, 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 and her entire performance boils down to this scene does not belong here, but we're going to get it out of the way. Yeah. That was that was where I was like, okay. They this... didn't know how to write romance, so they just sandwiched no. a romance scene in the middle of a plot about giant ants killing people. Yeah. So it just makes the protagonist look like a creep. And like you're uh, whining about not getting the girl with no evidence that you've not gotten the girl. Um, I wish we he, could he assumes just... she like someone else when she's shown no affection for him whatsoever and has only criticized the other guy who he, he thinks she likes. And I realize that some of this is, you know, trying to be throwbacky and, you know, uh, pay homage to the 50s film stuff and the game. didn't throw it back far enough. Well, amen to that. But, uh, you know, so there's I, I can understand the impulse that also runs through goddamn almost every other filmmaker's head to shove in some kind of romantic subplot. I wish we could just get over that not every movie needs yeah. to have our protagonist Absolutely. fall in love yeah can we not just have a story just have the story be about what you want to make the story about if if you want romance in it that's fine you don't have to have romance in it all right yeah. especially in plots about giant ants trying to bone down should be the last thing on most people's minds 
especially a protagonist who is really coming across as a sexless lump of mayonnaise. He's, if I'm he's honest. A, he's a bit of a nebbish. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, there's no personality there, so I don't know how he's interested in romance. He seems only interested in making whinnying noises. <laughs> For me, the moment I realised it was a little earlier than that scene, it was, and I actually sent you a message that just read, oh, they've given oh, the yes. ant subtitles I, Okay, now. I missed I missed the ant subtitles the first time. I had, like, yeah. looked away from the screen. It's only in one scene. Yeah. It's only in one scene, but it sets the tone for what they're going to do with the ants, which is, oh, no, they're going to try and make the ants funny. Yeah. Which they do in different ways throughout the rest of the film. They do try. Mostly by giving them a strange childish laugh. Like oh. a cartoon, like a, almost a, not quite Woody Woodpecker, but a kind of, <laughs> it's well, horrible and weird. They're trying to recreate the chittering noise that ants do, or that insects make. I don't know if ants specifically make it, but. Well, yeah, they're trying to do the chittering, but then try and make it sound cute. Yeah, like and laughing. laughter. Like when... a mocking laugh. Yeah, so it's weird because they want the ants to be threatening, but also want the ants to be funny, which can be done. Critters sure. did it well enough, but they're not. Well, know, it, they do it in such a way that it's like a whiplash of mood. And the, well, the, the ants, comic, the comic relief that they attempt isn't particularly funny. Oh no, it's not funny. I mean, the subtitles. It one ant is bashing its head to get through a door, and one laughs, and then the ant says, "Don't laugh, my head hurts," and that's it. No, the joke is that they have subtitles. That's the that's joke. the joke. The joke is oh. The ants can talk. And then we never see that joke again. Because the next joke is, oh, ha ha, that ant drank beer from a keg. Not in a funny way. It just drank beer from a keg and burped. And that was the joke. The the burp. The burp is the punchline. But it did lead into the one bit that did make me at least smile, which is when the ant then threw the keg (laughs) at the dude's head and just killed him. That bit was not good. But I was like, ah, now if that was in another film... That could have worked. Well, and it could have worked quite well. And it's so, um, I mean, it's exactly what Lucas, you could see Lucas doing the same thing, just with a can, hitting some dude on the head. He's practically a frat ant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's it. It's like, they they look at some of these other creature feature type films, like Gremlins, um, uh, Critters, as I mentioned, Gilded, what have you. It's like, let's get some monstery things and make them do some funny things. Yeah. But, the people who made this film are not funny. And I usually don't like saying something like that because humour is subjective. But sometimes, sometimes, you just know something is not funny. It's it's rare. It's rare because usually you can like say someone isn't funny and like but then there are lots of people laughing at it. So it is funny to someone. I can No I one's can, laughing at this one. I can see a scenario where some of the people involved in the creation of this were very close and laughing at each other because they were close and they find each other funny. That might be it, yeah. Yeah, very... F- yeah, this is... This is a funny film. This is the... the you had people. to be there of screenwriting. Yes. In their mind, the ants were hilarious. On screen, the ants are just big ants that make silly noises. And that's that's the only consistent 
comic trait to them. Otherwise, there are some scenes, like, there's one scene where the ants are, like, legitimately just tearing everything up. And it's done absolutely seriously, mm-hmm. with very serious music, some, you know, not the worst gore effects I've ever seen in terms of brutality, but shockingly brutal for the tone of the film up to that point. And and not, like, super cheap bad either. No, no. There's a bit where a woman who was just dancing all sexy gets acid spat on her and her face melts, and it looks okay. Yeah, it's a pretty solid aesthetic, yeah. But then they go straight from that to a joke. Not a good joke. The joke is someone offers the ants a nut because he thinks they're squirrels and then says, oh, you're not a squirrel, you're an ant, and then he's killed. I don't know what the joke of that was other than he thought it was something else. But he thought it was a squirrel? I think it might have been the chittering. Maybe? That's the only explanation I can come up with, is that he thought the noise that they made sounds like a squirrel. Why was it funny? Because he was looking right. I. Oh, no, it was not funny. It, yeah. it wasn't. No, no, no. I just don't... It, it's almost like... <laughs> I don't know, like... like Any of our <laughs> listeners who have been around, like, sm- like younger children, um, like, I, I, I had to raise uh, my siblings in a lot of ways, and I've got stepkid and whatnot, um... Kids that think things are funny when it's just word salad. They're just saying weird things and laughing. And sometimes you laugh at it because they, every now and then, will hit upon something just perfectly weird in the right situation. But most of the time, it's babble. That's what a lot of this film is. It's like like a 10-year-old a trying to answer back wittily at something, but not making much sense and just not being very funny. Uh, one perfect example of this is a joke that I did remember from the film a joke uh, which is one uh, the, the protagonist calls the comically dumb jock character a philistine oh and his god yes is I am not from Philadelphia or Palestine now, now that is something if a kid had very recently heard those words might hit out with at 10 years old and you'd be impressed because they're 10 Okay, but now, see, here's where we're going to take it another step. Because immediately following this in the conversation, uh, you know, or shortly thereafter, the conversation continues and uh, Lucas uses the word existential. Yeah, Lucas is the hilarious dumb jock character. And Brian, the protagonist, says, you know, you know the word existential, but you don't don't know Philistine. And now that is a f- that would be a fair point. That would be a totally totally fair point if not between these two statements. Lucas had also not expressed understanding of the word morose. Yes. Why did you choose morose over Philistine? Yeah. That's just yeah. bad screenwriting. Yeah, well, I mean the, the, that's this is the movie that starts with a tease, like a, a, a tense tease to showing off the ant, then immediately follows it with a scene that is also a tense <laughs> tease to showing the ant. Just one followed the other. 
No break in between them. No break in between. And then and actually, later on in the film, we get a tense tease showing the end. Th- there, sh- there should have been... I mean, it was would have been so easy to fix that, too. You know, you do the first tense tease, then you set up the introduction of our two main characters and them uh, going to pick up the girl. Then you cut to the next tense tease, cut back to... I mean, it's... But the thing is, is of the three tense teases that the film has, all three showed the end. (laughs) (laughs) And and expected us to to be horrified. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I was almost impressed when I first started watching it, because you get that bit where they're like, oh, if this was a movie she'd be walking in slow motion right now to express how much they like her. And then it cuts to her walking in slow motion. And they I'm do like, it. Okay. You're and self-aware. Right at that moment, I thought, this film knows what it is. I'm in for a good ride here. I wasn't. Because <laughs> it, it knows what it is enough to know what it should be doing, but it doesn't know what it is enough to know how it should do those things. Yeah. Because it does... It knows it's a bad movie, but it doesn't know it's not funny. It, it doesn't know what to do with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, should we get into it? Yes. Because yeah. the sooner we get into it, the sooner we can get out of it. All right. Um, yeah. I watched a long play. Oh, live the way oh my God. You did too? We probably yeah. watched the same one. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know what? Then let's just talk about this now first before we get into the movie. Okay. Okay. Because I, I did. I watched the whole thing. Right. Uh, it was like a one hour, ten minute video. Yeah, I watched the same, uh, probably from like longplays.org. Yeah, yeah, it was, well, and it was the Amiga version. Mm-hmm. And I could not help but admire how effectively they captured the experience of playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> because there are all of these points in the game where, you know, you go to locations and it stops to load and there's just it's just this long pause where nothing fucking happens and in the <laughs> film <laughs> yeah 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 uh and, and the game also, is, the game after is cool. I watched the the game is yeah I mean like I knew of it cuz I used to read uh, Saturday Crapshoot that PC Gamer hosted I think the writer was Richard Cobbett I want to say I was a big fan he used to write about like weird PC games and stuff like that um I knew of it came from the desert from there um never played it directly but I've seen it play and I've watched the long play and everything um I've I've been interested in it for many years it doesn't look like a game I'd enjoy playing yes enjoy that was looking at it yeah uh, but yeah, about giant ants. Um, what struck me watching the long play this time round was, um, I think it's canon in the movie. Because not game? only do they quote the same intro oh, yeah. in the movie as this, they do mention that something happened in the town of Lizard Breath, which is where the game is set. In 1951, when in the game the, yeah. is set. Yeah, no, this is, it is so a, the, a direct sequel. Yeah, this movie isn't just a... a a, a remake or a, a take on the movie it's supposed to be a uh, on the game rather it's supposed to be a movie sequel to the game and now i i i know that there is an expansion to the game that i haven't seen uh the content of so i don't know like i know the story of the first game now i watch that whole freaking long play but um something tells me it's not it's not going to be a game version of this film. No, no, it, it it won't be. And and it's interesting too because the game there were some significant differences between various versions of it. 
Um, it, because it was uh, originally, I believe, released on Amiga, and this was sort of CinemaWare's deal. They would put stuff out on a on what they considered to be the best possible platform to show their work, and then they would port it to other things. Yeah. Um, and Amiga was a like basically their their main deal. Um, because of the span of time where they were really operational between like 1989 yeah. oh, and you, 1992. If you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're the kind of um, game playing audience member who gets angry at uh, the disparity between certain port jobs these days, you try messing around with the old Spectrum and Amiga and Commodore differences oh in ports back then. My God, I mean, it was it was just a totally different world, and. This is not, from the way it sounds, a game that seems to have suffered in its ports. And, and I think that CinemaWare uh, generally took some care to make sure that there was at least some quality control in these things. But, um, but like, there's a TurboGrafx-16 version of it came from the desert. And in that one, you're apparently, your, your protagonist is some punk rock biker who has an immunity to the ant queen's blood or something and is rallying the town to fight back. Um, and it used, um, like real time video sequences in, in it, uh, which was wholly different. And then there's a, a Sega Genesis port that was never, uh, commercially released, but apparently they put the ROM out at some point, and, and that uses a completely new set of assets. Um, I can imagine so, yeah. Some of the, the, the home console versions of some games were very different from the home computer versions of games back then. But I guess structurally, mechanically, it re- remains very similar. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. I, you can buy this in a collection on Steam now. Um, it's, it came out in like 2014, um, as part of a CinemaWare collection, republished by whoever owns it now. Uh, and I, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna buy it and play it because I watched the <laughs> long play and I thought to myself, I'm, I'm not going to enjoy this. I wouldn't enjoy it, no. Uh, no. It's, that, that first person shooting stuff looks mm-hmm. nightmarish. And, and it's one of those, I, I was reading comments about it and like i read the reviews on the pc port and a lot of them were like oh you know the the controls aren't as fluid as they are in the amiga version and i'm thinking to myself are are you just remembering it being better or you know what and you know and then there's the people who because cursor shooting with joysticks um in old old pc games was abysmal Mm-hmm. abysmal and you can see it in like the long play that I watched I mean there's a reason joysticks these days are only really for like flight sims and stuff like that yeah yeah it was it was a bad scene and uh so anyway um I will not play it I used it. to think joysticks were so cool oh yeah oh sure I've got and I've got I've still got my Commodore 64 and the joysticks for that. And one of the things that was uh, cool about the old days is that uh, a lot of joysticks used a standard, uh, was it like a nine pin connector? Uh, so like PC joysticks of the time, uh, the Commodore 64 
used it. And it was like those were the serial ports. And then um, the Sega Genesis also used that. And, uh, and the Mega Drive used that nine-pin standard for their controllers. So you could use your Sega Genesis controllers on your uh, older on your legacy hardware. It's just only one of the buttons would work because they only had one button. It was, it, I don't know, it was a different time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, now we've got the USB standard, I guess. That's, it's come back finally. Thank goodness. Yeah. All right. Let's actually do this because yeah. this, this is going to hurt. We begin appropriately in the desert as a voiceover warns that the meek will inherit the earth and a meteor crashes. This is a direct remake of the opening of the game. Right down to the point where it doesn't look photorealistic at all. Yeah. I mean, basically a cartoon of a meteor hit. And it was a meteor, like, my likening this to a sci-fi original movie was immediate. Because it's on that level of a cartoon CGI. That would have looked fine in, like, the early 2000s if it was all CGI. 67 years later, uh, as we're told, which would set this in 2018. So... This year, not last year when the film came out. Uh, This is one of those speculative fictions about the future. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mercenaries are fleeing an underground facility chased by something. Well, I can't imagine what it could be. Uh, One by one, uh, they're violently killed by this unseen enemy. And then later, two men pull up in a truck and enter a cave, saying there's copper cabling to collect. Uh, They're speaking in Spanish. Uh, and, and they're going to co- come and collect this. They, they discovered this cave while setting up a gringo party. Now, again, I'm saying the timing here. They could have put this after establishing that the party exists with Lucas and Brian. And then this scene makes a whole lot more sense on top of... I have to wonder if that wasn't originally the arrangement. And then for whatever reason, they decided to shoot this early in the morning and shot the other thing in the afternoon. They're like, ah, fuck. Now that'll be weird. I, I don't know. Um, it's just terrible. Um, but they find some spent brass shells, which would have probably been from the mercenaries. And one of the pair gets worried while the other sees it as, hey, this is yet another financial opportunity. and We can sell this brass, too. And then they find a corpse, and they're both killed, too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they had the casting the wrong way around, because one looked like a grizzled old veteran, and the other one looked like um, basically a young, headlong, brash guy. But the grizzled old veteran was acting brash and headlong. Yeah, and the like young he guy... He would be the one like, I've been out in this desert for so long and something's different. And the other one would be like, eh, come on. Cut to a bad B movie. A different bad B movie, not this bad yes. movie. I was a bit impressed with this because I was like, given the quality of the movie so far... They've appropriately made the in-universe B movie really fucking shit. Yeah, they, they got they at least managed to get that proportion correct. I, guess, I that call ratio. me cynical. Call me cynical, but I felt like they had this in-universe bad B movie playing on the, the protagonist TV to give themselves something to look better than some wiggle room. Yeah. <laughs> Like, at least we're not that movie, but I, the one you've also shot and are showing and made. I have, 
I have seen movies like Eradicator. Oh, yeah. But more often, I have seen in-movie movies like Eradicator. <laughs> and this uh, happens a lot. Watching it is uh, a young man, Brian, and he is joined in his garage by Lucas, who is late in meeting Brian for a party held in Lucas's honor, where the Eradicator himself is expected to appear. Yeah. Oh, by the way, even though the you know it came from the desert was about giant ants attacking a town, this one is about big ants attacking a small party in the desert because they couldn't get a town. <laughs> or big ants. I mean, r- rather giant ants. They get big ants. Yeah, they're not. They're not particularly giant. Like the the in the game, the giant ants are fucking they're giant. giant. <laughs> bigger <laughs> like, than a barn. Man. Yeah. Bigger the, than a barn. The, Here, they're like the size of a horse. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably, probably. If you, if you, you if a bit you bigger took than a horse, two horses fucking. I think. Yeah, yeah. The ants are about two horses fucking size. Yeah. Uh. So we learn that Lucas is some sort of motocross racer, and Brian is his mechanic, and this sort of establishes. Which is funny because Brian comes across less like a mechanic and more like a tool throughout the movie. <laughs> But this is that's a joke, by the way. If the writers are listening to this, and unlike with some of the movies we've covered, there's a chance they are. Yeah, and and there's a chance they might not actually know what a joke is. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, the, this sets up that uh, the the power dynamic in their relationship. In, in the sense that Lucas is the brash um, risk taker. Uh, Brian is the nebbishy support system. The whiny little shit. Right. So with some hideous soft rock playing in the background, the pair heads off. Oh, God. The, like, the, the actual incidental music is quite good for this. Yeah, the ar- it's got a nice B-movie flavor. The score Anything is good. Licensed. The soundtrack is Dog yeah. shit. There's really Santa two Cruz, songs. There's this one. The band. There's this one. This song that I don't know what it is. I didn't bother looking into it. And then the other song, which we'll talk about that in a second. Oh, yes. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about that other song. Uh, that made me make pained noises out loud. But, but, but Brian makes this observation that they aren't headed in the direction of the party. And Lucas reveals that they're stopping to pick up Lisa. Which freaks Brian out because he's totes into her but doesn't know how to talk to her. And then he forgets to unbuckle his seatbelt when he gets out the letter in the truck. Because, <laughs> oh, it's so been done a thousand times better. A thousand times. Literally a thousand times. Yes. I meant both. Yeah, I meant both in terms of proportion and frequency. Yeah. Uh after a bit of banter about how she's a great student, but Brian is a better one. This isn't evidence at all in the movie no. that he's smart. No. Um, although it is at one point... <sighs> I hate this movie so much. So they, they, they drive out to the party listening to a very, very regrettable song about River Phoenix. <laughs> It's called River Phoenix. It's by a band called Santa Cruz. Yeah. And while I have encouraged 
everybody to not watch this movie and at least have like a support network on hand while you do it if you're going to make that choice. Uh, you should go listen to the song just so you can <laughs> understand where we're coming from here. Just so you can understand, like truly for once in your life, comprehend, because I don't think many of us do, the nature of hate. Like, and, and this song, it, it is reminiscent of the one from uh, Assassin's Creed. Mm. At the very beginning when he's biking around. Yeah. Um, it's very generic attempted inspirational shite. Except this one has lines like the, the chorus is we're going down like River Phoenix, which does not seem to be in, in good taste. No, that seems. I mean, I'm I'm not a big River Phoenix fan. Personally, and I am not above making a tasteless joke about the death of a celebrity. I am totally fine with that. But like a two and a half minute rock it's an pop odd, song, it's an odd lyric for the the kind of pop song that it is. Yes, it's. The, it seems a little unusual. And, then and, again, and, and it doesn't seem self-aware. With, yeah, <laughs> I mean, considering the whole movie struggles with tone. And what what is the right time and place for something? This song does fit it perfectly. Yeah, I suppose it could be the most appropriate choice they could have made, but it is cringy. Uh, made made me have a feel bad. As they, I didn't even hear the lyrics, I just the sound of it made me want to eat my own teeth. As they drive, they talk about meeting the Eradicator. And Lisa establishes her cool girl cred by knowing about all of these B-movies these guys love. There are seven of these Eradicator movies, apparently. Or they're working on a seventh? Oh, yeah, that, that was a joke later in the film. Uh, just again, to give you an idea of the sense of humor, when Lucas the Jock one says that a situation they're in is just like Eradicator 4, and then... Brian, the geek one of the group, says, oh, that was Eradicator 3. That was one of the great jokes they had, that he got the title of a movie wrong, and that was it. There was no no, no other thing in it, in the joke. As they drive, they are approached by a pair of bikers. Now, uh, we'll, we'll later learn their names, the Guarisco brothers. Um, and they taunt Lucas and well you know hot-headed Lucas ain't gonna take that lying down because he's the best now so he climbs out of his moving truck giving Brian the wheel who has to then climb over Lisa seated between them not awkward at all and then he rides his motocross motocross bike that wasn't so bad because Brian's got no bones in his body so he could just sort of ooze over her. That's the best way to describe him, is oozing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think you've uh, you've really nailed it there. He is an ooze. Uh, yep. He is the secret of the ooze. He's the secret of the ooze. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a good secret. <laughs> it's a bad bad secret. Uh so but Lucas gets onto his motocross bike which he rides off the back of the truck and starts this impromptu race with the brothers. And he wins because he's Lucas, and he has yeah. Brian's awesome mechanic skills supporting him. 
the latter point is brought up by the Guariscos who feel they have been disrespected. And it's interesting how Brian sort of pipes up. This is the most like developed character thing that he does in the entire fucking movie. And I can only assume it's an accident because the manner in which he says that, oh, you know, you guys actually lost that race because you were too scared to do that jump. Not, you know, my bike was better, not Lucas was a better rider, you guys fucked up, is a self-deprecating thing that's totally in line with the unbelievable amount of insecurity this character has. I would call it clever, but I don't think they actually did it on purpose. Well, if they'd done it on purpose, they would have been follow-up. Right, it would Which have been could be congratulatory. Said of anything in this film. They would have congratulated themselves for having done it in some way. Yeah, and it would have been a sticking point later. Is oh, my confident, drunken exterior hides a fragile soul, but this is it as mm-hmm. far as the character goes. For this bit, and then he tells him not to have his brother's dick in his ass. <laughs> And then one of the brothers is about to say, I'll put my dick wherever I want, but he's stopped by the other one because the full line might have approached a joke. That, well, and, and they're, you know. Okay, I, this, this has the potential to be funny. Yeah. In a different movie, it's almost performed a joke. by different actors with a different lead up and build. That, yeah, that could work. Yeah. With delivery. Mm-hmm. With delivery, structure, and writing. About they, 60, 75%, I would say, of the actual filmmaking process. Yeah. It's a great if shot. they just had that. They've got the raw materials for jokes. They have them framed in the center of, of the view yeah. of the camera. But it's that... like they've got, they've got metal rods and sprues and bolts <laughs> that represent the makings of a joke, but they're just bashing the pieces together. <laughs> It is it's like it's like coming home with IKEA furnishings and getting drunk <laughs> and trying to assemble them like Jimmy McNulty does in The Wire. Oh, brought it all the way back around. Let's follow up on something we established earlier for the writers who are undoubtedly listening to this movie. <laughs> you getting free writing tips from people who haven't even made a film. Which puts us on the same level as you. Oh, God. <laughs> I am almost I joking. Feel about I was this. joking, and I'm not saying that to make them feel better. No. I'm again reminding them what jokes are. <laughs> this is. This might be our our our, our most uh, cruelly honest <laughs> experience doing this yet. You've got to be. You've got to be, because this movie thinks it's okay. These these people will attempt to make more films. Oh, God, yeah, and they've clearly got something of a budget. they got enough budget to make cartoon ants. Yeah. Not, not realistic-looking CGI killer ants, but some cartoons. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I want to talk shit, but I, we've seen so much bad CGI. Like, tons of it. And and this ranks above. I mean, like this is like. I mean, yeah. This is the baseline, maybe. I think acceptable 
CGI. It's almost... I, I wouldn't go that far. I would say it's almost acceptable. If the whole movie was CGI, it'd look all right. But they've got that kind of weird... Their frame rate is not the same as the rest of the movies. So they always look a little bit like they're from a Zootrope come to life. Mm-hmm. If they'd have made them a bit more fluid, this would have been baseline acceptable CGI. But they're, they're a step below because they just don't move the same way as anything. Not just in terms of animation, in terms of frames as well. So everything... They, they, they look undoubtedly fake. So I I uh I couldn't resist the urge while you were talking about this to go and look at the director of this film. Are we going to find out they went on to do something brilliant, aren't we? No, we are not. Uh, oh, good. We, we are not. He's still very early in. Well, okay, I don't know about early in his career, because he's been working on uh, films, a, a lot of shorts and document TV documentaries for about eighteen years. Uh, this is his second feature, mm-hmm. or uh, maybe maybe third. Uh, there's another one here called Ella in Friends that. Well, uh, the directing was competent enough, so for things like documentaries and short films, I could see them working yeah. okay in that. Yeah, but he also wrote this. Ah. Uh, and that. That's why we stick to documentaries because they don't need writing so much. They don't. The dialogue will come provided. Yeah, I mean, he 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 wrote it with two other people um fucking hell like i thought it'd be a two two person team three for what this is yeah dear yeah that is mm, that's a it's it's, i think this feels cruel because i've seeded without any evidence the idea they might be listening well and the other the other problem is like now i'm curious to see their other, the other film. They did another horror film called uh, War of the Dead. And, and that's their fr- the first feature they made. There's one other that looks like some sort of children's family-oriented thing in the middle there, which, oh, God. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to think about that. Yeah. Because that could either be great, like like perfect for what it is, based on his capability here or yeah, well kids don't have developed senses of humor so so that could work i mean you take the gore out of this and you could sell it to children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and you take take the the alcohol abuse and and the violent the, the gore out and, and this would be fine yeah yeah honestly and i'm not even saying saying that to be insulting no i mean the level of humor this has yeah take out the the adult themes and you've got a kid's movie about big ants. Mm-hmm. You could even leave the romantic subplot that you really shouldn't have put there in the first place in there. It would still work. It's so yeah. chaste. It's very pure. Yeah. It's pure-hearted. <laughs> oh, God. So, anyway. Um, Do they parting. even say the fuck word in this? I can't remember. I, I, don't, I don't know. if they. I can't recall. I don't. I mean, I'm so inured to it. Uh, you know, as as Lewis Black once said about New York City, uh, uh, "fuck" isn't even a word there; it's a comma. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, who knows? I mean, there's 
I wasn't really looking out for it because it, it didn't hit on me re- until now that this could have been a kids film. I mean, it th- doesn't really matter. There's a little, there's a little homophobia that I'd probably want them to. Oh yeah, to yeah, edit from out our of this. heroic protagonist. Oh, well, both of them. They're both. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so anyway, partying happens. One guy has a backpack filled with his family's secret vodka recipe, which Lucas says tastes like gasoline. Um, and, and he winds up spilling Brian's beer in the process. And this is, you know, not an important plot point that we're establishing here with this very, uh, out, not out of place, but certainly uh, outlier strange individual in amongst this party, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the party hound, the, the weird creative party hound carrying this. It is a pesticide tank. That he is dispensing this family vodka out of. Huh. Yeah. Subtle. It's like, I think they were trying to prove that they at least know what a Chekhov's gun situation I is. I guess so. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. We know you know that bit. Yep. Uh, well, and, and they, they, they do also know to, you know, not just do it the once. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, noticing Brian staring at Lisa from across the party, Lucas tries to encourage him to talk to her for a with a uh, somewhat troubling pep talk. Eh, I, I can't quite remember what the details I were. I remember him telling him to do it. Yeah, and it's it's one of those uh, you know women love confidence, just go take what's yours kinds of. Things. Oh yeah, it's it's not it's not intended to be greasy. But, you know, it is it is greasy. Uh, and uh, But Brian's just too intimidated by his best friend being so awesome and I guess a little greasy. And, and, and so before he could do this, the younger, dumber Guarisco brother slides in to embarrass himself. And a dejected Lucas wanders away from the party before he can see that she's just like totally outright rejecting him. And yeah, this starts the pattern of our protagonist assuming the girl he likes is into everyone she expresses clear and open disgust for. Or or engages with in any way. Yeah, that's it, yeah. He'll make an awful boyfriend, because apparently she's not allowed to be near any other bloke without her being into him. But he might make a great vice president one day. (laughs) (coughs) Yep. Okay. <laughs> we gotta get one in. Gotta, yeah, that was a good one as well. That was a good one. But seriously, um, yeah, this protagonist is, I mean, he is toxicity incarnate. And, 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 and I would not, I would not advise anyone to date this protagonist if this protagonist were real. But I do think that, that if anything else, this film that speaks, because I don't think any of this is intentional on the part of the filmmakers, right? I don't get the sense from the way this is written or delivered uh, that the intent is <laughs> to promote this. It's, it's accidental, that they wrote this, I think, in a way that comes across so inappropriate. And and that speaks to the just general embedded patriarchal bullshit. It's a case study. 
Well, uh, no, I mean, they wanted to write the geeky kid eventually gets the girl. Yeah. But they did no groundwork for it, so it's just entitled whininess of this boy who can't stand a girl. He likes being near other guys. Yep. So he goes off and sulks about it. There's our hero, everyone. Yeah, yeah. They, they... Whining, gelatinous, mayo prick. You can wanders you... off into the desert on his own to have a bit of a cry and kick some rocks because a girl he likes is near some men. And and they, I guess the thing that is so kind of uh, amazing to me about it is that they tried, clearly tried, to make a character that the viewer would feel sympathy towards as the downtrodden male. Yeah. But what they actually succeed in doing is illustrating just a dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, just just a white dude. He's the kind of dude that's going to, like, grow up to tweet that he fears for our nation's sons. Right. Yes, exactly that sort of thing. Sorry, he's a sorry little wanker. Let's just be honest here. The protagonist of this movie is a sorry little wanker who feels sorry for himself and should be sorry he was born. Lucas gives a speech in honor of himself and his party. But when he goes to give thanks to Brian, Brian's not there. Brian's at the chasm because yeah. he's wandered off Self-imposed exile. Because he's complaining about only being the support character, the second stringer. And isn't there to take center stage because he's off moping. And he's peering over the edge of this chasm when he spots the truck from the second setup scene. <laughs> Lucas uh, finds him there. And then litters his empty beer can, takes a leak, both of which are things that uh, elicit outrage from Brian, um, and reestablishing himself as the dumb, careless one in the relationship. Because it would be very easy for you to forget that that's who he's supposed to be, judging by how fucking stupid Brian is. Yeah. Well, when you've got a one-note character as well, you want to bash the note on that keyboard, like... Forever and loud. Mm-hmm. And they certainly do. They do not let up with Lucas. It is... No. Well, it's the same with the whininess of the protagonist. The characters in this movie, what few there are, are relentless in the one gimmick they're pushing. Lucas tries to get Brian to return to the party, uh, who's still being a tool about Lisa and how he's always the second banana, despite just passing up the opportunity to receive glory. Yep. Jackass. Stupid prick. Uh, tossing a second beer can and then feeling, you know, realizing, oh, yeah, that, that offends my friend. My friend, I'm, I should go get my beer can. Lucas observes the cave entrance. And he charges in to explore it against Brian's warnings. Yeah. Brian's warnings that will now not let up for ten minutes. And then on the other side of what seems to be a bored-out tunnel... Like, this isn't... The, the the cave doesn't seem to so much be an entrance to a cave network underground so much as a passageway through a mountain to... Yeah. It looks like something you'd see on the set of Doctor Who. It, like, the 80s Doctor Who. It does, yeah. This very fake rock set. And, and, and I don't know, I don't know. It's just, it's so, it's so strange that they're outside again on the other side of this cave. <laughs> just really bugs me uh 
But they, they discover this seemingly abandoned research facility that's owned by the local defense contractor that effectively owns the town, I guess. Yeah. Oh. oh, what were they called again? Because when I heard it, I was like, of course they're called that. Oh, God, I can't remember. I should I have written remember. it down. It might have been from the game as well, so I don't want to judge that too harshly because I'm, I want to basically show favoritism to the game. I don't I don't believe it was. Um, I didn't see it anywhere in the... Uh, um, I didn't see it anywhere in the long play. I think that this is just a like a private contractor that came in after and is wholly original for this. Um, that's my guess, but I, I can't I can't say it with certainty. And I wish I could. Yeah. It starts with a C. And that's what I was thinking. It's a C something. Yeah, C A N is I think how it starts, but I can't. Or C A R. Who knows? Um, we're never gonna go look it up because that would require me to actually like. Watch more of this again, and that, that yeah. no no amount nobody on the internet has written that down for me. Uh, so Lucas, thrilled at the prospect of finding a bomb, decides that they should break into this abandoned facility against Brian's concerns that then they'll know too much and get killed by secret agents. That would have been a great move. I would have been on board for that film. Uh, unfortunately, would have been a short film. Unfortunately, we're watching this film, but they go in. Yeah. And after another beer gag, where uh, Lucas pulls another beer out, and Brian is upset because he had wanted a beer, and Lucas said that he didn't this have is, another one. This is where I started genuinely hating the protagonist. Uh huh. When he's like, it's the way he says it as well. It's dude, like, come oh, on. Dude, come on. I haven't even had one beer yet. Um. Lucas quite rightly says whose fault is that because he had he was just at where there was lots of beer and didn't have one and then went off whining and crying and this is again this is a trope that done well can be very effective the you know character who just wants that one simple pleasure and it keeps being denied them throughout the course of all of the trials and tribulations that they go through in the film, only to be rewarded with it in the end. Sure. Yeah, because they, they make a thing of this. They make a thing of him wanting a beer and not getting one, except he's not the kind of character who comes across as, as a interested real in beer, beer drinker. or anything. Um, <laughs> really, no interests, no hobbies. Um, they don't commit to the gag enough. It's half-hearted whenever it happens, and it only happens, like, three or four times at most. I don't even think that many times. Yeah, I think it has maybe um, twice or more. Yeah, there's no commitment to it whatsoever, no real setup. Uh, by the time you realize it's a running gag, the running gag is practically over. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so they go in, they find blood, and no people, despite power being on. And I had a problem with that as well. Because they go into the kitchen area and the protagonist discovers a fridge, a refrigerator, mm-hmm. and opens it and says, it's still cold in there. And I'm like, you've just been walking through an underground <laughs> facility where the lights keep turning on as you walk through it. And that's what you're confused about, is the fridge is cold. Yeah. There's power running to the fridge. Uh, and so with no care to in- ensure they aren't trapping themselves in this place, like they close all the doors behind them. The fuck, mm-hmm. like that real that offended me probably more than just about anything. I don't know why. It's just, 
you're supposed to be smarter than this. Uh, Lisa winds up going looking for them, finding the truck, while the camera tries to suggest that a giant ant is creeping up on her. But no, it's a more disgusting monster, that younger Guarisco dork, uh, who, you know, tries to set up the, you know, semi-creepy, I'd like to sexually assault you vibe. And yeah. she knees him in the balls, and they do. Oh God! And they do a funny vocal pitch joke that I've never seen done before. His voice goes high pitched when she knees him in the bollocks, and it's even it's sloppily done as well because all of his breathing and everything is included. Um, so you can just—it's so blatant that they just turned up the the pitch on yeah. everything they'd recorded when the camera's on him. It's so bad. Nothing will nothing will top Hot Shots Part Deux. No. When when he fucking knees that guy in the bollocks and he spits both testicles out of his mouth, says you'll win and falls over. What? It's done. What films should do in future is just license the right to use <laughs> that seed anytime they want to make yeah. that joke. What is that? Ten seconds, fifteen seconds of a clip? It can't be that expensive, and everyone will appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, they'll know what you wanted to do and understand (laughs) that Hot Shots Part Two did it better. (laughs) On the hunt for beer in the abandoned military defense contractors research (laughs) facility, because we are committing to this, they wind up in a kitchen with no beer before heading into some tiled hallways with observation rooms. Yeah. And one of them, labeled There's red, a horrible jump scare here. Has a... That's a horrible, because it's it's not a jump scare. No. But they do that thing where, you know, one character jumps out to scare the other one. Obviously, Lucas jumps out to scare Brian. And they overlay a scare cord over it, but it's like a very obvious alien monster noise. That is so obviously overlaid. It makes you think, or, you know, if you were to buy into it, you'd wonder why Lucas has the voice of the devil. How did he make that noise? That's how badly it's implemented. It's not like an incidental scare chord for the movie, just to frighten the audience. Well, that's what it is. It's what it wants to be. It just looks like Lucas can make horrible monster noises that are loud and echoey. And he only displays this power once. It's also terribly telegraphed. Oh, yeah. Because they have this, you know, they give you this long shot of the hall, you know, with all these little windows and the the one that is obviously broken. Yeah. With one character who has just disappeared now to set it up. Yeah. 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 It's so bad. And of course, it's all one flat shot and not well lit. I say not well lit in that it's just basic lighting. So there's nothing left to any imagination. And they just put a noise in. I, 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 if I were to give this movie credit, I would say it was to parody jump scares. But, but that's not how it comes across because I'm just there thinking, why does Lucas have the voice of Satan <laughs> for that one that one jump scare attempt. Um, so this this observation room that he has crawled into, it's labeled Batch 9, and they go in and explore it and find sticky gross shit that smells bad that Lucas just sticks his idiot hand into? I thought I'd missed something there, but I'm glad you said that because I was like, 
Sorry, did I just miss something where maybe he dropped a beer or something and went to reach it? Or No, no, I think he did just scoop his hand in the gross, stinky shit. <laughs> yes. Then again, if you hang around with that protagonist for long enough, then nothing else is gross. <laughs> no, that's true. Just, just the experience of... Spending time with him is uh, will inure you to all yeah. sorts of, of things. You'll want to skip, like, skim your hand across gross-smelling insect residue just to take your mind off him it's, and his noises. It's sort of like how parents will sometimes like hear that a kid in their neighborhood has chicken pox and then force their child to go play with them so as to inoculate, you know, get them infected and and inoculate them. Which, by the way, my mother tried to do to me. My father's best friend's kids wound up with chicken pox. They sent me over there to play. My fucking immune system is a goddamn beast. And said, fuck you. I'm not dealing with that shit. I've never had chicken pox as a result. So now it'll probably kill me one day. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's the problem. Um, by the way, all throughout this whole sequence since they got into the facility, Brian, the protagonist, has constantly been going, oh, let's go, let's get out of here, let's go back to the party. Mm-hmm. Come on. Constant. Yes. At the same tone, without increased or decreased urgency. And like I say, the words of the day here is relentless. Yeah. It doesn't stop. And I, by this point in the movie, I want him to die. I want to see Ants tear his legs off. If he is in the scene, like if he's in the shot, he's complaining about how they should go. Yeah. You know, unless Lucas is talking. And yeah. <laughs> which is then just him saying, let's go keep going, you whiny bitch, basically. And that's just... He keeps calling, keeps calling him a Nancy, and he's like, oh, don't call me that. And then he turns around and calls Lucas a gay lord. Oh, yeah. That's our protagonist. That's, right. that's our noble hero. I did, I did. God, I wish Ants had spat their acid on his face. Uh, they also observe in this observation room that there's a security turret thing in the corner. After a bit of further exploration, they turn back as the camera pans to show a door reading Danger Antmine Project T-H-E-M or Them. Why Why wasn't Alien Ant Farm on board to do the soundtrack for this? They could have gotten in 2017, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah, they could have. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm all right with Alien Ant Farm. You know what? They're fine by me. I, I, I admittedly really quite enjoyed their, um, their first album release. I can't remember. Their version of Annie was better than the original. Uh, and I, I'm not just criminal? saying that to be... A smooth criminal, sorry. I don't know why I called it Annie. Um, that's how much I listen to fucking Michael Jackson. Um, I like them for different... I like them both for different reasons, but I agree it's an excellent cover. Um, and I I mean, that the whole album that that was on... And, and that's an interesting story, too. There is a, um, a YouTube series uh, that I'd gotten into recently called uh, One Hit Wonderland that does, you know, sort of deep dives into bands that had one major mainstream success and then, mm-hmm. you know, what led up to it and then what happened to them afterwards. Really interesting series. And um, The best sentence I've ever read, I've, I, I'll never remember who wrote it, but it was on Twitter, and I'm, I'm still not sure if it was genuine or not, but the best sentence I've ever read in regards to music was, Alien Ant Farm is playing at the vape convention next door. Wow. 
That's the perfect sentence. Alien Ant Farm is playing at the vape convention next door. Wrap it's it up, English language. Sentence. We're done here. <laughs> that's that's the hot part, shots part two nut shot of speaking. <laughs> uh, but but they uh, they had released uh, a single for a song that I really uh, like called Movies, uh, which is you know it's just a pretty standard pop rock song, but it's a, a solidly constructed one. I like some of their songs. Yeah, and and then Smooth Criminal came along and was a big success for them, and then they got to release Movies as a, as a sequel, and their career was pretty good for that album. And uh, yeah, I I like Alien Ant Farm, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. No, I, I not just Smooth Criminal, but every time I've heard an Alien Ant song, I've been like, that's all right. Yeah, yeah, they're not you know gonna. You know, tear down the walls or anything. They're not going to catapult us into a new no. utopian future. But at the very least, they should have done the soundtrack for this. Damn fucks right. Better than Santa Cruz. Oh. So, returning to the break room, Brian and Lucas see a giant ant. Oh, shit. Hiding in the kitchen. They're literally on an alien ant farm in this film. They are. They are. They are literal alien ants. Yeah. Being farmed. Being farmed. What oh, the fuck? This is such a missed this opportunity. Movie, this movie was not competent or, like to begin with. Now I'm legitimately furious. So uh, they hide in the kitchen, and Lucas's phone rings, and it's Lisa, and she's looking for them. And Lucas tells them where they are, and that they're pinned down by a giant ant, but the reception sucks, and it's not clear to anybody how much of that message she received. And Lucas suggests... Not once do they su- suggest that um, calling her into the lion's den is, is a, bad. Yeah, yeah, that's also worth pointing What's out. What's one more person going to do? Right. Now, obviously, it turns out she does do something. Um, something that contradicts information we know about the ants later on, by the way. But um, all they're doing is calling a woman into her death at this point. For all they know. And it's not called out. I'm... Get out of here, cat. Stop it. Am I delicious? Am I delicious? The cat cat wants to stop you recalling this film. He really does. The cat is wise. Well, he was was outside the door meowing earlier, so I had to let him in. And now he's, like, attacking the door. Like, (laughs) (laughs) So, no, it's, um... Yeah... They, they, the reception's bad, right? And so Lucas suggests that maybe Brian should try to call him, uh, call Lisa on his cell phone. I don't know how that reception would be different. Maybe, maybe Lucas uses AT&T and Brian's on T-Mobile. Yeah. Better chance yeah. of getting I a mean... signal down there. I guess I would try any phone I had if I needed to phone. But but that's not why they don't try it. They don't, you know, it's it's not on the basis of, well, we're underground. Why is my phone going to be any better than yours? It's on the basis that Brian does not have Lisa's phone number. Lucas has Lisa's phone number because he they identified all seem to be good friends. He identified her when he looked at the phone and answered the call. Yeah. Now I realize maybe in the distant future of 2018, as envisioned by this film, cell phones no longer store contact information, including phone numbers. Yeah. 
That could be. Maybe he deleted it in a huff and <laughs> went on to whine because he saw a near another male. <laughs> but he could just get the phone number from Lucas's phone. Oh yeah, he could. I mean... But he doesn't want to call her because he's pouting. <laughs> so then they look for weapons. Uh, returning with a pancake pan and a spatula in another attempt at humor. Yeah. Uh, Again, you know, we saw funny weapons in Shaun of the Dead. If you if you can't top that, why bother? Well, or at least well, if you can't match it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm okay with doing the funny weapon joke. If... I'm, to be honest, so am I. I'm just wanting to exclude It Came From The Desert from doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Uh, then they make a bunch of noise by accident, and that attracts the ant from, from outside. And hiding happens... But and, and the ant then leaves. So Lucas, stressed out by this, opens a beer. And this, like, the ant freaks out at the opening of the beer and is alerted again. And, like, this seems incongruous, right? Like, because they had this big, loud, clanging shit. And the ant comes in all casually looking at what's going on. Then there's yeah. just this hiss of the can opening and all of a sudden this fucking freaked out enraged ant is charging in from out of the room again credit where credit's due honestly yes credit where because that is plot salient yep that's this i'll give it that. i'll give them this this one it seems dumb it's like chekhov's guns they've got nailed down yeah they've 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 figured out uh how to to at least insert their their stuff in and and not ineffectively so this this might be the storytelling high point of the film. Honestly, I think so. Which is... Whew. Okay. Uh, so the ant chases them back into the rec room, following some flailing about, and Lucas, of course, finishing his beer before throwing the empty can at the ant. Which, again, if it had been done with um, some performance chops behind it... Yeah, could have been I looked been at funny. it and was like, that approach is a recognizable joke. Yep. Uh, but the ant grabs Brian and subsequently Lucas when he tries to help pull Brian away from the ant. Just when things seem desperate, Lisa shows up and repeatedly strikes the ant with a fire axe. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, the ant's a cartoon, so it's not really there. Uh, so she's lifting the axe up and down, chopping at nothing in real life, but she's supposed to be chopping the ant. And the thing that does look real is the ant blood. Which just looks like a whole bunch of, like, KY jelly or something that they're squirting out from somewhere. They don't have much of it because it stops after a while. And it's coming out in entirely the wrong direction from where the ant's placed and where the axe is going. So it just looks like some random silly slime that's just being thrown up in the air. It doesn't look good. So, okay. Oh, God, I just remembered this. Lisa suggests that they should leave. And in doing so, she states that injured ants release a pheromone that attracts other ants. Oh, yeah. And Lucas looks at her a bit weird and is like, how do you know that? Right? And now keeping in mind that we have earlier established in this film through conversation between these three characters that Lucas is the idiot and the two of them 
Brian and Lisa are academically competitive, right? She was Dean's list and he was president's list. And so that she is smart. It's established that she's smart. I I don't know what's worse that he's white that he's whiny or that he's trying to be woke here's the thing (laughs) I know what you're going to say and it's projection of course it's projection all he's doing is saying what he's thinking over himself in this bit that's about to come up because he goes to this this ranty aggressive monologue against his friend about how, oh, just because she's a girl, she can't be smart? You know, what's wrong with you? And it's so performative. It's so over yeah. the top. Says so much more about Brian, our protagonist, than it does about Lucas or anyone else. Or or, or Lisa. Or Lisa, absolutely. And then... And- All it really says is that the girl he likes, he's academically competitive with her because, heaven forbid, he dates someone smarter than him. And then he reveals all of this with his self-serving rant. And then we get the punchline to this thing, which is supposed to be tension set up. And and it's that she's been reading it from a side. And I just don't I just don't know what to think about this entire exchange anymore. <laughs> you know, like it, it's worse later on when they try and do a callback to that yes. scene in a way that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that she was just literally reading verbatim from a sign that she was looking over their shoulders yeah. to read. I'm just going to say it right now. Later on, she says something else, and Lucas is looking around, and Brian says, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for a sign. Because now he assumes that everything she knows, she knows from signs that are nearby. But it's so awkward and out of place. Well, and it doesn't work as a callback joke. Well, especially because it it suggests that Brian it suggests that Brian was right about Lucas all along. That Lucas actually does think that she is of inferior intelligence, and it is now justified by the presence of the sign. And now he is looking for the sign because obviously she couldn't have come up with that solution on her own. Yeah. Fuck this film. <laughs> it's just, it's horrendous. Uh, more ants come and the kids hide in another room locking the ants outside who then have this subtitled conversation about, <sighs> that we talked about earlier that's not funny. Inside, they find some computers and watch a video that's, you know, akin to the 50s educational films for Duck and Cover, but about giant ants. If This could have been funny, but wasn't. If you've seen a, you know, a, promotion, a, a, a promotional trailer for Fallout in the last 10 years, you, yeah. you know what this is. Um, not as good as any of those. It's fine. No, they're like, oh, instead of Duck and Cover with giant ants, run and evade. And it's like, this could have been funny, but it's just so flat and one note and exists in a world where so many better public information spoofs are out. Not wacky enough. It's just, it's just. No, no, it's just very straightforward. And it's hoping, it's one of those jokes that like, like relies on you knowing what the joke is and not actually being a joke itself. Right. You're supposed to think, oh, 
I remember funny public information parodies. That's what this is. I'll laugh at that. They're, they're, That's what they're fucking hoping for. Right. They're playing the thing straight and relying on its juxtaposition as being an ant thing and not ducking cover to be the thing that is funny. It's yeah. it's not – it is not really They don't actually do anything funny within it. Yeah. And had they done something funny within it, I might see merit in that. But it's just flat. Um, so the display then switches to a view of one of the observation rooms uh, that they were you know, previously around. And then a video with a scientist pops up on another screen. In the video, the scientist, Renard... He can't act. He cannot act. This, the guy playing the scientist is the oldest character in within the, the cast. And from the look of him, you'd think, oh, okay, we're going to get some acting out of this one. Mm-mm. No. He's just reading his lines. He is. He is literally just reading his lines. Um, you, he, He's played by Mark Arnold. And, oh, oh God, I'm about to... Oh, oh, oh hang on. Uh, he, yes. Oh God, he was the the. He's the. He's the he's the antagonist character in Teen Wolf. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he's just reading his lines in this. Oh yeah, he is uh, definitely. But he's he's been in a he's. He's worked a lot. He is a recognizable character actor, I would say. If you've watched enough films, you've probably seen him in some shit. Uh, he was in Blade Runner 2049, which I'm sure is a great movie that someone else can watch. Uh, in the Last Kingsman movie, Bridget Jones's Baby. Like, he's popped up. In, in a lot of stuff over the last Basically, three years. in sequels to things. And in shorts. A lot of short films. Holy God. So many wow. short films. And uh, If appearance... he's getting that much work, maybe he can act, but he doesn't exhibit it in this film. And an appearance in the 1990s, uh, in 1996 on the NBC comedy Wings. So, mm. you know, he's been around. Yikes. Um, he's not doing any work here. He's, he is kingsleying no. it. Yeah. Uh, but he explains that the facility was set up following the giant ant incident in, uh, Lizard Spring. Was it Lizard Springs? Is that what it's called? Lizard's Breath. Lizard's Breath, uh, California in 1951 with, uh, ant research subjects captured and experimented on using alien DNA found from the, the crashed meteor. The, uh, that had grown the ants to enormous size. They've successfully spliced in DNA from fire ants and spiders, hoping for commercial applications. Yep. So it's umbrella. Yep. Got a real umbrella. Well, going here's on the thing. Here. Later on, they try and justify this. I, th- I think they try and be clever. They're trying to subvert the idea that these experiments are always done for weapons. And they deliberately call that out as an idea. Except their explanation makes no sense and I don't understand what they're trying to do. Because later on he'll say they're not for uh, weapons, they're for defence. And then he just talks about how strong the ants are. But then in no way explains 
any of the applications. Well, it's the 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 fibers in the web are exceptionally strong, and at scale, uh, they become more... Well, they talk about, yeah, the, the, the fly going into a spider web, and at scale, how strong that is. But they... Well, he compares it to, Cle- to Kevlar. Explain, yeah. So it'd be, you know, for armor. I didn't understand how they were making armor by what they were doing. Basically, what I'm saying is what they're doing with these ants for 50 years, or 65 years or whatever... It's not congruous with with what they want to do. No. No. I was confused by it, because I'm like, how are you making any armor if that's what you're doing? Because you just said it's as strong as armor, and it's for defense. And... and Which is still military. Yes, we still... Let's let's, let's be honest with ourselves. These... Just because they are armor, armor is part of armament. It is, you know, there's... Those words are related for a reason. I think what confused me was the fact that I, I guess I was expecting more when they said it wasn't weapons. I'm like, oh, okay, they're going to do something subversive and talk about some commercial product. And they could. And then he just like, bangs on about how tough the ants are and how tough the webs are and stuff. And then I'm like, okay. So it's, yeah, it's, it's the same you, shit. You just, yeah, I think I got confused because <laughs> I was like, what are you doing that isn't military? Right, yeah. Yeah, and he's drawing this distinction between creating something for the purpose of killing something and creating something for the purpose of preventing something from being killed. That's yeah. that, that which you give to people who are there to kill. People. Right, you're just enabling people who kill people. He's basically the the scientific equivalent of Jigsaw. <laughs> I didn't murder those people; they did it to themselves. Yes. Uh, Anyway, Batch 9 escaped, took out the security, and is likely seeking to establish a colony. Fortunately, the scientist continues to explain, the ants have been genetically modified to require ethanol in order to produce the enzymes necessary to procreate, which is not a thing easily found in the desert. And there's our, you know, beer opening reaction thing. The ant was actually reacting to detecting the ethanol in the beer which is what it and i thought at this point i thought this is what the movie was going to be from here on out is stop the ants stopping the ants getting to the party yes me too instead (laughs) they get rid of that bit pretty quickly and then they're left playing for a lot of time yeah yeah um the uh lisa points out that ethanol is the alcohol everyone at that party be drinking Yep. And they decide they have to warn the others and move to escape the facility and return yep. to the party. So, And that's a movie plot right there. That is a movie plot, but that's not this movie. Mm-mm. At the party... It's too much plot. A woman who is very clearly not named Trash is dancing as she's removing clothes. Yep. And I think, look, if we're... To bad music. If we're gonna have a scene where a woman at a party in a horror movie, is going to disrobe, it should just be trash. Just be trash. Yeah. I, I, I watched that the other day. I rewatched it for the first time in like 20 years. Return of the Living Dead still holds up. Mm-hmm. It's a, if only for the fact that there's a girl called Trash in it and, and another guy called Suicide. And we know that the entire purpose of this scene is to pay homage to Trash. I can I know it for with absolute really the, certainty. 
the purpose of every movie is to pay homage to trash. Well, granted, I don't, no, no argument <laughs> there. So, but because they do specifically reference Return of the Living Dead as their justification for not taking a course of action later in the film. Yeah. Like, this is the trash scene. End of story. Um, one dude leaves to go hit the keg, but it's empty. And when he looks to the pile of other kegs, he sees one being dragged away and discovers it being chugged by a giant belching ant that beans him with the empty. The beaning him with the empty is the one thing this film got right. Yep. It was well, it was done well enough. That was a solid execution on the joke. It just flings the keg while the dude runs away and smacks him in the back of the head and he falls over dead. That is the one thing. That and the, the call forward with the beer opening and the ant earlier. Yep. I guess the film does two things right. It, the throwing, not the drinking and belching, because that was just eye rolling old hat comedy. The throwing was good. Then the woman who is not trash is vomited on, and her face melts to the horrified expression of onlookers, um, and the ants surround the party. The Guarisco brothers bail on their bikes because they can, I guess, leaving yeah. everyone else to be attacked. And none of this is played for laughs. This bit is straight-faced in a way serious. that is a complete whiplash. Well, the, well, the music changes, the tone changes, right up until they do their next joke. Yeah, well, that's the... the and, and throughout this, we're shown the guy with the, the vodka tank uh, multiple times to, to reinforce him. And he is supposed to be comic relief even in these moments as he sort of wanders around drunk and confused more than, you know, while all this chaos is erupting around him. Like, he is not freaked out by it, it at all. It doesn't work because of the tone of the scene. Right. Yeah, that's it. It's like, I think that's supposed to be funny um, the whole way through, but it's not. And um, and then he, you know, but we, he, they all, that's also, they, you know, want his Chekhov's gun establishment really firm, yeah. which is why we get so many shots of him in a, in a big way. And uh, he is ultimately, he confuses the ant with a squirrel for a moment in his drunken haze, and then acknowledges that it's an ant, and he's grabbed too. And it's it's worth noting... It's just confusing. It's not a joke when you're just confusing the audience. A lot of people seem to be killed here, and yet a lot of people are not killed. Yeah, that ends up a little bit befuddling later on. Yeah, it's it's difficult to ascertain who has been killed uh, here. And, like, we never see Not Trash again, I don't think. I assume she's no, no, dead. No, I mean, she gets melted right? for reasons. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the same issue I have a little bit with the Alien series. As much as I love the Alien series, where you're like, well, some of them are getting killed and some of them are dragged off. Who, who decides what? Right. Because we've got to have our kills, because it's a, you know, horror, action movie, what have you, um, depending on which Alien film you see. So we've got to have kills, but we also do the whole dragging off thing. What's the deciding factor outside of those scenes where it's like for self-defense? Yeah, that... I honestly don't know. <laughs> Here it's even worse because the alien movies are fucking great. Yeah. Well, the Guariscos are also being chased by the ants. Uh, the older brother gets caught and the younger one manages to get away. So there we go. Needed to have that in there. That was important. And these scenes are all so violent yeah. that you have no belief any of them have been dragged no. up. No. It is. You expect their heads have all been eaten. Yeah. Uh, the the violence of even characters we see later surviving, there's no way they could have survived what we see happen to them. 
Returning to the wrecked party, Brian, Lisa, and Lucas assess their options, which are few, and seem to be pretty much limited to going and finding help from the authorities. But then they're forced out of Lucas's truck by an ant. So they hop on bikes and ride off, splitting up at some point for no clear reason why they're doing that. And they seem to have... They seem to acknowledge each other when they're doing it as if they know what they're doing, but we're clueless. Brian tells Lisa to hold on tight and heads toward the chasm edge, but she causes the bike to slide out because he's an idiot who could not possibly make that jump. And it's really important to point out how firmly she believes that trying, the two of them trying to make this jump is an idiotic thing they should not do. Yeah. I mean, you look at the jump as well. It's... You'd need to have E.T. on the front of that bike. To oh, yeah. It. Yeah. It's a huge gap. There's not... Two E.T.s. There's not enough of an incline on the, the takeoff point, I would think, to clear that. Not at all. I don't think there's much of an incline at all. Like, I think you could get away... You know, if it had a higher incline, you could get some speed. I think that gap is jumpable, but not, you know, as presently configured, I, I wouldn't think. You'd just fall off the side. Yeah, well, you'd fall forward. And, yeah. and and pitch into the chasm. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, what the hell do I know? I don't... I'm not a bike mechanic. Uh, Brian decides that this is the time to confront her about how she thinks... How he thinks she's into Lucas. Yeah. They're being chased by ants. By, yeah, being chased by ants. Ants are... Ants were following them up to this point. And, and now we're going to stop and do this. And she... Well, the ants have established themselves as smart, so I like to think they hung back and thought, wait a minute, hey, God, we're gonna... he's fucking himself over worse than we could. Well, we're going to give this... Hey, <laughs> I can just imagine two ants in the background. It's, and, and I, I'm sure they shot this scene. I'm sure that they they like, they like did the CGI for all of it. They were all ready to that. Eh, never mind. Then two ants around a corner looking at the two of them and chittering with the subtitles saying, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. I think he's going to make his move. I'm really pulling for these two. <laughs> uh, she makes the observation that this is really not the time or place. It really isn't. <laughs> but, uh, but reveals her also incredibly obvious feelings for him. And then she's dragged off by an ant. <laughs> Which he doesn't see happening. Because he turned away to whine. Yeah, he turns away to have a complaint. After accusing her of liking Lucas with, again, no evidence. All we've seen of them together is her not liking Lucas at all. And he's like, oh, but she prefer him. And basically she's dragged off by giant ants because his ego needed to be massaged. <laughs> he's the fucking worst. He's a fucking, he's a dreg. Uh, Brian's unable to start his bike to go in pursuit. Uh, Lucas soon after arrives asking what happened, and uh, Brian insists they go after her into a network of caves he thinks is where the ant colony is being built. Uh, eventually, he convinces Lucas to do this. This scene takes too long. I don't... Yeah, fuck it. Oh, did you know that these guys are movie buffs? Oh, yeah, they... Well, about one... Up until now, we only know they like one series of films. Right, yes. They're big fans of this one B-movie franchise, clearly. Now, that was, I think, supposed to establish them as being big film buffs generally. Yeah. But those are not the same thing. 
And and now at the you know two thirds point of the script, they have they are now going to really drive it home that these guys really love movies. Okay, but what they I mean I'm just I'm so baffled by the choices made because. I can get behind the idea of these guys being like hardcore into B movie shit that like is both classic and legendary and shit that nobody's ever heard of, right? And they could have combined those two things in some way. Reference fucking I don't know. I mean you could even be surface level, reference plan nine from outer space. People will get that. Right. You can you can do any number of of B things that and then sprinkle in a couple of, you know, like your aliens. That's a cult enough reference. Sure. Why not? But instead, they aliens is like the most cult option that they go with. Like outside the cave, they make this Avengers reference uh, to where, you know, well, what if Scarlett Johansson was in there? Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, well, she's Black Widow. She'd be able to take care of himself. Well, what if you're the Hulk and you're rescuing the set? This fantasy for Lucas to want to go in there and have the confidence to go in. And then Lucas makes a fucking Lord of the Rings reference. Some spelunking happens. And eventually they find their way into an egg chamber so that they can make aliens at Jurassic Park reference references. And then just just to twist the fucking knife on all this crap, they do go one cult film further. Deep Throat. Oh yeah, I remember that now. Lucas says if my life were going to be a movie, I'd want it to be Deep Throat. And there's so much wrong with that yeah. idea. Yeah. But I think my... I mean, if, if, if he wants his life to be like a movie, then, I mean, he would have to be the the main character of, of Deep, Deep Throat. Throat. Right. That's right, his right, fantasy. Right. And, and the, the premise... The premise, if you are unaware, because this is a film... Uh, you know, it came out before I was born. Like, it released at theaters before I was alive. Oh, I assume... I watched a documentary on it once. It's fantastic, too. Inside Deep Throat. Everyone should watch it. It's just excellent. Um, but it... Yeah, I assume it, it came out before the vast majority of people listening to this film or uh, review podcast are, are aware of. And, and so, uh, just to explain what the plot of Deep Throat is... And it is fairly inventive for a poured film plot of the era. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and this was a time when porn film plots, I think, were more creative. And there was, you know, uh, kind of one of the fascinating... Well, they had plots. Well, one of the fascinating things about the story of Deep Throat is, is its director, Gerard Damiano, had this vision of pornography, you know, hardcore sex being in mainstream films and having this complete cultural crossover between the two and that it would just be normal for films to have graphic hardcore sex in it. Um, never quite... We never quite achieved that no, dream. No, no. We, we never got there. Um, but, I mean, it's... It, there's... You watch something like the aforementioned Avengers and you think, mm, we fell just short of <laughs> sex. 
We did. We really did. But it's it's sort of it is sort of sad because you know it, it reflects a a more hopeful time before Tori Amos came along and destroyed porn. <laughs> That's how you do a good callback. <laughs> uh, but but the plot of Deep Throat, getting back to all of that, is this woman is unable to achieve orgasm, and a doctor discovers this is because her clitoris is not where it's supposed to be on her body, but is instead lodged firmly in the back of her throat. In the back of the throat. Yes. So to achieve orgasm, she should fillet men. That's the plot of Deep Throat, everyone. Which is... I mean, it... By God. And Lucas wishes his life was like Deep Throat, and I can only assume that's because he wants it's to suck the a lot only of dick. pornography he's seen. And that, you know, well, I mean, that could, that could explain the homophobia that he's expressing throughout this film. Maybe. We've already established the... the you know, the characters in this m- movie like to project. It, it could very well be that Lucas is just a deeply co- closeted homosexual lashing I out. Think, I honestly think it's the only porn film he's ever seen. That's the uh, that's the only other alternative. <laughs> he bases everything he knows about sex from Deep I just I, I can't imagine you'd watch that film and then say... I want my life to resemble this. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's it's clear. I mean, even if you want to suck a lot of dick, I, well, mean, I mean, it's geez, I I can empathise with that, but I don't wish I had a clitoris in my neck. And it's reinforced by the, his follow-up line about it: "How can endless pussy be lame, bro?" <laughs> That's not what's so not only is deep about. Throat, the only film he's ever seen, <laughs> the only film he's ever, the only porn he's ever seen. He's also never followed the plot. <laughs> You, you gotta research when you write a screenplay. Does he think a mouth is the same thing as a vagina? <laughs> well, from his perspective, mouth. maybe it is. <sighs> there's, like, I just rolled my eyes when I first heard it said. Now I realize there's so much to unpack. Yeah, it's really, really bad. So much. Yeah, yeah it says a lot. Yep. As they look through the glowing egg chamber, they look... Take it from an expert, cocksucker. You do not want your life to be like deep throat. <laughs> they locate Lisa webbed up to a wall. An ant- it's endless cock, not endless pussy. Yes. Yes, it is. It's, it's all the cock you can swallow. Which is fine. If you want to swallow cock, sure, it's fine. But is but that the, the only way you want to achieve an orgasm? You want your life to be like a film called Deep Pussy if you want Endless Pussy. Yeah. And I'm sure there is one. Yeah, My- actually, we're more like Deep Dick. You want your movies to be like Deep Dick because it's a it's a penis that can only achieve orgasm by being in a vagina. By being deeply embedded in a vagina, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the plot uh, in that, that's, right? Yes, Deep Dick is the story of yeah. a man whose glands is actually located at the base of his shaft yeah now hear me out on this one right there's this movie i'm shopping called d for deep dicking it's it's small as a plot very similar to v for vendetta (laughs) okay all right we're gonna get through this together uh 
very much like the plot of Deep Throat. Uh, an ant appears to threaten them and, and, and is suddenly shot by the scientist Renard, who tells them that they're all going to have to leave because those ants are going to be coming, which is something they should all know already because, as we have previously established, an injured ant releases a pheromone that attracts other ants. Yeah. Uh, so they go uh, because they, they can't free Lisa from the webbing. And so after Brian whines about that for a little bit, they, they go. And Renard gives us some more exposition, uh, establishing that there are some sentry guns in the area uh, and giving a map to Brian showing where they are. Helpful. Uh, Lucas recalls Renard saying that they had special weapons in his video. Now, I actually don't recall this at all. Uh, I am not going to watch this movie a third time to check. We're just going to believe Lucas on this one. Uh, yeah. Renard confirms this, saying that there are experimental weapons that are able to pierce their carapace at another site, which goes back to... Now... Yeah, go ahead. This is... This doesn't work with the fact that a, like a high school girl was able to chop onto pieces with an axe. Now, maybe she belongs to the Lumberjack Club. Maybe. But if you need special bullets to pierce their, like their, their super powerful, tough, armored carapace... I don't think a I don't think a full grown man with an axe would do it. Not if they needed to build new weapons for right. Them. Yeah, but yeah, and, they they forgot that bit of the film. And and and, and also um, this sort of <laughs> okay. If you're doing this research for defensive purposes, not for weapons, and you have to create. You, you then create special <laughs> weapons to deal with the defensive shit you just created. You are still... You're making weapons. <laughs> Not only that, you made weapons that you could better sell than ant bits. Yes. Yeah. Make money selling the, the ant buster weapons. So your whole thing is just a crock of shit, Renard. Uh he, he does say that those weapons exist at some other site nearby, uh, and he explains that they'd have a, about 30 minutes to get them and deal with the ants. Yeah. I'd have kept the ant killer weapons nearer the ants. That just makes sense to That's me. That's just me. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the one funding clandestine science experiments in the desert, though, so well, now, I'm not the one running an alien ant farm. Gra- granted, granted, the ants have relocated. They're not in the facility that they were in any longer. But why are the weapons even in a separate facility from the facility in which you kept yeah, the ants? That's, yeah, just... that's what I mean, yeah. Keep the ant killer weapons in the ant facility. Yeah. Don't have a different facility for ant killer weapons. Um, he also... This film. He also explains why they were doing all of this, sort of. You know, this whole, oh, it was defensive weapon shit. And he does seem determined to continue his research once this whole thing blows over. He's like, no, batch 10's going to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I respect that. That villain characterization. I'm fine with it. I'm also fine with him suddenly and unceremoniously with his role in the plot complete being stabbed through the back <laughs> by the Ant Queen immediately afterwards. The Ant Queen who is just shown in broad daylight. Uh-huh. Matter-of-factly. Yeah. Like, she does a, a plot-relevant uh, sort of kill, but then it's just, oh, that one's got wings. And I can't I can't figure out how that ant arrives that quickly 
in that position with that little cover surrounding yeah. it while they're looking away, just rolling their eyes about what the guy just said. Unless, again, given- unless it flew, unless it flew using those wings, which yeah. there's no fucking way the movement of those wings required to lift that fucking thing wouldn't produce a near deafening drone as it came in. Yes. <coughs> but then we never see it fly to my recollection. Uh, no, I don't believe so. It's just got, it's just got wings. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, unless they like cut out a scene where we find out the ants have ant stealth, um, it just does appear. Yep. It, it's like it cuts to a close-up shot of Renard's chest and a little spot of blood on it. Oh, yeah, and then it's yeah. slowly pushing through this like massive, like small tree trunk sized thing through the back of his chest through through his chest yeah. from the back. I mean this this ends the size of three horses fucking. It's not subtle. And yet yeah. a surprise. But then what given what we know about the protagonists of this film, they are so self-absorbed mm-hmm. that they probably could miss a bus headed straight for their stupid fucking faces. Cut to Lisa being threatened by a worker ant. Yeah, that was a weird scene. Creepy and unnecessary. I think they were trying to maybe reference Alien 3 or something. Yeah. With just having the woman's face all there and then the ain't head sort of go observer a bit. But it sounds like it's almost trying to speak. And I was like, oh, God, are they going to make them speak like full English now? And they just have to say something like, ah. Or are we going to learn that she has, she understands how the language of ants and she's some kind of doolittle type? And then. Just. Maybe something would have happened in the scene. Turns, I guess that's where I went wrong. I was expecting something to happen. Turns to turns the drone over to their side, and and the the worker ant then works together with the rest of the crew to take on the queen. <laughs> um, yeah, she could have done a whole overthrow. Seize the means of reproduction. <laughs> um, that was a joke, right? As of it came from the desert. Brian and Lucas arrive at the site with the weapons, but find that there's a turret guarding it that wasn't on the map, leading Lucas to suspect that Renard has lied about the weapons. Uh, but the, the plot of this film is actually not that complicated. It turns out that the turret's just malfunctioning and they walk right past it. <laughs> yeah, we, we have to just put it down that either the doctor forgot about that one or didn't bother noting it. Because it was a malfunctioning but, but this is, one. This is a self-aware... I think this is where the film truly starts to express its self-awareness about how dumb it is. Because they, they do that, and um, after this next scene, there's another just like, okay, here's the last nail in this coffin uh, of our self-referential meta-awareness. Um, in the building, they search through a series of closets until finding a fridge with beer, which thrills Lucas... Uh, but Brian stops him from getting his drink on so they can stay focused on the task at hand, uh, which is not finding these weapons that they're looking for. And as they go to leave out the way they came, they find an ant is now munching on the corpse that they passed to the way in and blocking their exit. So they're fucked. And Lucas basically feels like this whole thing is doomed, and he wants to call the authorities. 
But Brian is determined that the only way they and their friends are getting out of this alive is if they do it, pointing out that the government will probably just nuke this place like in Return of the Living Dead. Hence, Hence trash. The, the, the lady dancing earlier, clearly trash. Uh, relenting, Lucas insists that he get to drink that beer before they die. And he drinks one in front of Brian, who's, again, still not had a beer all day and has to whine about it. Mm-hmm. And so Luke, me, me, me. and Lucas goes for the second one to give to Brian, but it's stuck to the fridge for some reason, and there's a little light under it. And oh my God! There turns out there is a secret room in this secret facility, opened by secret by way, beer and a secret fridge that has secret guns and secret <laughs> army and a s- secret mini torch. Yeah. By the way, he did open that first beer, didn't he? Before yes. Before the get going for the second one. In Why the did the ant not outside, freak out outside? I just yeah. realized that too. Maybe so they, they have all the ethanol the they one... need. Maybe, but I have a feeling because they seem to be able to sense it anyway. Um, seems to me that the one decent thing that this movie did is now been destroyed by itself. Was completely undermined. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. Um, after we have a bit more homophobia relating to the voices and the secret guns, because um, the secret guns have like some sort of computer voice recognition command system or something the guns talk and one of them talks like a lady and one of them talks like a guy and brian picks up the one that talks like a lady first and they're all oh this is cool and then lucas picks up the one that talks like a dude he's like ew gross talks like a dude i want one that talks like a lady these these guys are just the worst. I mean, to be that insecure about your own sexuality. It's, it is. Yeah, I mean, but really, just between... You spend all day, every day, jerking off to deep throat, and then you're upset that your gun talks like a man. These are not healthy, balanced boys. No. No. Uh, but they do gear up, and then they take on the ant outside, wasting a ton of ammo for yep. these special guns. Does that ant that they shoot give off a pheromone? It should. It doesn't, though, no, does it? No, it does not. Correctly. It, this, shooting this ant does not cause the problems that they've established happen when you kill an ant. Yes, well, consequences only exist when they further the plot. Yep. That's... So, again, undermining themselves, anything they've established that might have a rudimentary trace amount of smartness to it. It does hurt. And the more the movie goes on, the more it unravels what few frayed strings it has. Um, like... They waste ammo to the point where Brian's gun is completely emptied, and he just leaves it there. Yes. And there's our hero, there's our protagonist. Wastes his gun immediately. Outside, they comment on how they'll never make it back to the colony in time now, and lament how in a movie, there would be a convenient (sighs) plot contrivance to enable this. Fuck off, Phil. You don't get this. You're not allowed to have this. When they notice a pair of motorcycles underneath tarps right next to them. Fuck off. Fuck off, film. Shut the fuck up, movie. <laughs> and again, we get the highly questionable song about River Phoenix. <laughs> as they ride back to the cave. If entrance. it was worth listening to once. <laughs> and they s- Which it wasn't. And they spout some ridiculously bad catchphrase thing that I... I- it's so bad that I don't know anymore 
whether or not I'm supposed to think it's badass, whether the writers think it's supposed to sound badass, whether the writers think it do sound it does sound badass. Like, I don't know. It's just words that are said at this point. Yeah. Inside the cave, they begin freely uh, freeing the captives from the party, starting with Lisa. Uh, Brian takes Lucas's gun, giving him the mini torch in exchange, and then calls out the Ant Queen, shooting what's left of their ammunition. And then when he runs out, he yells at the gun for a while. Oh, yeah, that made no sense. He's trying to tell it to reload, and she's saying that she doesn't um, understand the, the verbal command or something. And again, I think there's meant to be... This is supposed to be a joke, but I don't get I think, what the joke is. I think it's is. supposed to be a joke about how he doesn't actually understand how guns work and thinks that yelling at the gun will cause it to reload with more bullets when he's just he's, his clip's empty and needs to be exchanged yeah. for a, a fresh one. Here's my problem with this. It's established... Uh, in the scene where they get the you know computer stuff and they you know blow up the all the ants that are in the other observation rooms with the turret that he's familiar with video games he plays video games how is it possible that someone fam- now it says oh well you like those old games but she comes of course brian would like it came from the desert we have to have a character that would like you know, the game that the source materials, yeah. obviously. But how could he even, you know, like, not be aware of the necessity to reload guns and play video games? Yeah. Seems impossible to me. I mean, that, uh, I mean, I guess his assumption is because it's a smart gun, it can do everything. I, but that, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, honestly, I. Maybe the humor of this film goes too far above my head. <laughs> Maybe I don't fucking get any of the humor in this film. Maybe the problem is this movie. It's us. Maybe we're the pro- Maybe we're an issue here. I, I we're at fault. I don't know if we could start to think this way, Jim. Like I think, <laughs> I think that this starts to like represent a breaking point for us as people, <laughs> because like, w- what else is there? Like. What does anything mean anymore? Uh, so they run off, uh, Lisa and Brian, uh, having you know wasted all of the ammunition again. They take the bike and are pursued by the ants, leaving Lucas, who remained behind hidden, to free the rest of the captives. So this was all part of their plan. Yeah. I think it was at this point I started to play Guacamole on the Switch. Good call. Good call. Um, <laughs> Brian stops to reference the map, revealing that he plans to kill the ants by luring them past the sentry guns. The guns, seemingly recognizing Brian in the army as friendly, though never establishing that this is a possibility anywhere in the uh, film. Yeah, I was like, is it determining humans even though we were warned earlier that they will shoot anything is he just so good at the bike it's moving too fast for them to recognize or, or, or is all it, we know is the guns won't shoot them because they're the protagonists I mean it, it, it's it's possible that they're programmed to distinguish between people in the military like armor shit and because they happen Maybe. he happens to be wearing that you know and it's a military it's one of their bikes so that could be be the explanation. But it's not really established and, yeah. in any satisfactory right. way. Yeah, you have to, and you'd have to, you know, do what I do and make some logical leaps to and say yeah. that it's inferred. They're, 
They're wearing literal plot armor. <laughs> it prote- yes, it's protecting them from the previously established plot elements. That's great. That's that's what the webbing defends against. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. It's MacGuffin armor. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's talk about how these established as, if not super smart, at least human level smart ants run themselves into complete extinction. Oh, yeah. So you mean, you mean how, like, the first four or five, it makes total sense that they would run in there, but perhaps any number yeah. of the rest of them would slow their fucking roll? Yeah. Yeah. And how this differs differs from, say, the scene in Aliens, where they were clearly throwing reserves out there. Yeah. Um, instead, they throw their entire species into the bullets and not once stop. These, these ants that are capable of the ant equivalent of human speech with each other. Mm, or did they? Anyway. Well, no, there was one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as they, this batch, at least. Uh, as they revel in their victory painfully, we get to see the Ant Queen appear above them and know that shit's about to get real. I mean, the, 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 the shot is painful. It's just painful. And, and and them celebrating is painful. Like that. Do they kiss at this bit? Is this the bit where they kiss? No, they kiss later, and that's an army of darkness. All reference. I know about the bit where they kiss is uh, I said out loud, yes, please do keep your mouth closed to the girl. I, I would not want her, any part of her, to touch any part of him that, that isn't well protected. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So they take off. Uh, Lucas starts getting the captives out, uh, including the guy with the vodka tank, stopping him to take the tank because he's had the bright idea the writers have been waiting for. Uh, he sprays down the egg chamber with the vodka and is about to light it on fire when he hears someone else struggling. It's the elder Guarisco brother, still wrapped up at the back of the cave, and Lucas takes the opportunity to enjoy this position that they find themselves in. Meanwhile, reaching the edge of the chasm, Brian stops, realizing they're trapped. But Lucas now encourages him to do the thing that she told him was idiotic merely an hour ago with a kiss. And he attempts to jump it. Mm. And he succeeds barely crossing the gap and bailing. They both bail from the bike. Um, The abandoned truck from the beginning of the film is here conveniently. And they hop into that. As they start the engine and start to drive away, uh, it's it's stuck in place as the Ant Queen has shot a web to the back of it and is now dragging them into the chasm. Uh, Lucas, seemingly having having forgotten the last time he tried to fire the empty weapon, tries again. And then a frustrated Lisa takes it from him, asserts her dominance over the gun. And wills it to have ammunition. Oh yeah, because she tells it that uh, that she's the queen. Only room for one yeah, queen. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's the only queen that there could be here. I mean, this comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Why is she? What? What about her personality before makes her assert herself as a queen in any way? Oh, she knees the guy in the balls that. How's going to sexually assault her, maybe? That's a reach. Bit of a reach. And... There is not... This This is from nothing. This is spun from whole bullshit. Much like the bullets that now have to... Now magically appear in the gun? 
Yeah. She managed she managed to shout physics to alter around him. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh she kills No wonder she's on the Dean's list. She kills the Ant Queen with the, the gun. Uh, the truck is then dragged over the edge with the queen and into the chasm where it explodes, uh, but they both bailed out of the truck. And Unfortunately. Brian quotes Army of Darkness and kisses Lisa. Great. Yeah. In the egg chamber, the elder Guarisco reads back the terms under which Lucas is going to free him. It's essentially future public debasement. And he's released. Lucas then stays behind us at fire to the cave, and the eggs start hatching. And, oh no, Lucas could die here, or something. Who the fuck cares? They can all die for all I care. Outside, the older Gorisco brother emerges and explains that Lucas is probably sacrificing himself for everyone else. And just then, his little brother rides up and hears this news, so he immediately rides his bike into the cave. And an explosion follows, and he comes riding out with Lucas, and the flames, you know... Like happens in these things, flames chase they're them out. They're just they're fine. fine. Nothing, nothing wrong. Everyone's happy. And back at the scene of the party, we get a. Uh... <sighs> this is, this is where the director is like, okay, here's what we're gonna do, right? We're gonna start in. On a focused shot of a beer can, right? And we're gonna do a one, camera tracking shot that follows the spear can all around our protagonists, right? We're not going to cut at any point to it. We're going to lead it all the way through. And, and, of course, it's what they fucking do. Why is this shot here? You're not, why are you showing off now? Why are you showing off now? We already have seen what you're capable of. Yeah. And, and most of the people who started this film did not get this far. Like... I appreciate that you know how to set up and execute a single camera shot. And you know what? Fine. Fine. I know you're listening. Fine. Fine. (laughs) You did it well. It's great. Now, it's too late, man. Yeah. But the beer, you know, this is is resolving our, our running beer gag. The beer eventually makes its way through everyone's hands to Brian, where it's got to be warm by now, right? Yeah. So he's rewarded with a warm beer. It's more than he deserves. They've all been gone from this party more than half an hour. I'm sorry. In the desert, during the daytime, you saw that there was no condensation on that can that means then again i mean it evaporated away there's there's given what we now know about lisa she could shout it cold (laughs) it's probably cooler the beer is probably cooler than it is standing in the sun because the shade does a tremendous amount to return you know to prevent heat but it is not going to be a cold beer your your reward is a warm beer and suddenly they hear an engine coming, and it's the Eradicator. Finally arrived for his appearance at the party, and everyone is thrilled. They couldn't even be bothered to come up with a fake actor name for no. him. Apparently, the Eradicator is the Eradicator. Yeah, it's 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 he. 
Apparently those movies are documentaries, not B movies. Or he's you know just so he's he's so method. Yeah, and- so method he forgot whoever he used to be. <laughs> He arrives at the beards at the party. He's, you know, he's kind of a... He's the guy from the other film. He's semi-overweight and, you know, wearing a biker helmet and acting like he acts in the film badly. It's comedy cult B-movie protagonist yeah. sort of fan. And and he is what he is. And they, the beer is given to him, you know, because they respect him. This Even though they're all more... All of them are more capable probably than him at this point, as evidenced by when the beer is stolen by a worker ant with a web. And Brian and Lucas take up their their weapons while the eradicator cowers behind them. And thank God the credits roll. Yep. In in any other film, the eradicator would have been introduced earlier and over the course of the movie his cowardice would have yes. shown. Yes. Until the fans of his outclass him. Yes, that is how you do that. Like, the Eradicator shows up and he, you know, at, to the party. He has to show up to the party ahead of time. He has to act like a badass. That he thinks he's a badass. And it has to be irritating and slightly annoying so that when he proves himself yeah. to be useless... Now, bear in mind, we're not describing something that would be original and inventive. No, but that's not what you're doing either. You're doing homage. Yeah. That, yeah, this movie is trying to homage all that stuff, and instead they just cram in a, a lip service to his cowardice at the very end for no good reason at that point. Uh, it... They didn't replace it with anything original and inventive or subversive. No. They didn't subvert anything in this film. No. They just, they used all of the carbon tropes and presented them out of sequence. Yeah. And then the credit sequence is better than anything in the film. Because it's all footage from the video game. It's footage from the video game, and they have, like, little overlay um, pixely cartoons of the ants, like, stealing beer and stuff. Because they've seen similar credits in Pixels and Wreck-It Ralph. (laughs) And wanted to do the same thing. But way more effort and, and talent is evidenced in the animations they throw in here. And the footage from the game was a nice touch. Yeah. And then there's a little, not post-credits, but like post-clever credits sequence that just reminds us that alien mind door is still there. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's it. it. And did you like this film or not? Uh, you know, I... The one thing I will say for it is the thing that I said before is that this is not cynical. It's bad. It's very, yeah. very, very bad. And so often we see bad movies that are also cynical, that are trying too hard. This does have self-awareness of how uh, of the fact that it is schlock and that it is bad. I don't think it fully understands the problem it has. Yeah, I think that's the issue. Um, they know they're making a bad movie and want to make that funny, but it's just bad comedy on top of it. Yeah. And and as I said at the beginning, a bad comedy is the antithesis of funny because by its very nature, bad comedy is not going to be funny. I mean, it's just just the worst thing. It's the worst thing a film can be is bad comedy because there's nowhere to move. Exactly. Like, uh, you can... You're not... There's no... If you made a comedy, the drama's not going to hold up, right? 
You know, the other thing. We can't have fun with a bad movie when the reason it's bad is that it's not fun. Right. But if the reason is it's bad is that it was intended to be fun. I mean, I suppose it's possible to, to do that too, but there has to be something really special about it. It has to not be about the jokes that they're trying to tell. There's some other element to it. Or, or just the abject failure of every joke in something could maybe lend itself. But, I mean, this is evidence here that it's not happening here. It's just not happening it, here. The only way comedies like that work, and I've not seen Vince Offer's movie, but I can only imagine something like that might work because it's more about th- who the comedian mm-hmm. is. Because mm-hmm. you're there wondering, like, oh my god, this person thought it was funny or something like that. But here, it's just you know, faceless writers, directors that no one really cares about, yeah. thinking they made something amusing. Like Rob Zombies, it came from the desert, <laughs> right? Probably not going to be good. Probably not mm. going to be a good movie. But you would know what you're getting with Rob Zombies. It came from the desert, I think, to a great extent. And that would most likely be something that if you even if you didn't like it for the comedy that it would attempt, you could laugh at it for its approach and its, uh, you know, disgustingness, which the zombie films always have and in the crudity with which those are put together, uh, which is itself, of course, homage. Uh, This is an homage that uh, pays lip service I think it is a homage that truly probably does think it came from the desert is a good thing and I, I'm not inclined to disagree with them it's an antiquated they thing. just didn't go far enough with any of it yeah. like you say lip service is it it's surface level homage at the very best mm-hmm. and even then the most shallow kind of shallowness there is yeah so uh, no, it, I don't care for it. I will, I will, I will never watch it again. And and as no. we said at the top of this, if if you must, um, do it. Don't do it alone. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's vapid trash with detestable characters and jokes that aren't just unfunny, downright confusing. Yeah. Its sense of humor is confusing, because you don't quite know what they're driving at with most of it. What is the point of this joke? What? Why is this a joke? half the time I can tell you think it's funny but why so what are we doing next time Jim I barely remember that was that felt like a decade ago we talked about it it was a lawnmower it is the lawnmower man yep speaking of something with something established something bad we can laugh at uh this is not going to be a film that holds up I can tell you right now I I have not seen it since I was a wee band so it's going to be interesting going back to it but yeah we're going to talk about the lawnmowered man next time in about two weeks um you know usually we aim for every second tuesday but uh every now and then things are now i can so. and we we might have to actually reschedule for later in the week next time because i'm gonna be doing yeah. a little traveling okay. but yeah we'll work that so uh, we, we go with roughly two yeah. weeks now uh give us a bit of wiggle room uh and yeah we'll be back with the lawnmowered man and we'll see you later <laughs> bye bye <laughs>